up, everybody. Come on, let's get after it tonight.
fuzzy thing on Hoping I get in trouble by our, our guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kind of love this stuff when that happens, man. I promise we're somewhat professional at times. Hey, I wanted to read, uh, I shared this with our team today. It's kind of a staple for us in this place, but. It's from Acts 16. Um, and I remember a couple years ago, Cody sharing this vision with us after reading this and it's really become a reason as to why we, one of the reasons as to why we gather. I want to say this, is every time we gather to worship God, man, it's for one reason, is to describe word to Jesus Christ, to the King of Kings, to God. But the cool thing is, is yeah, that, you can clap. Um, the cool thing is, is um, there's a lot of byproducts that we get to experience when we ascribe word to Jesus. And one of them is this, and I want to read this from Acts 16. It says, Paul and Silas, undaunted, prayed in the middle of the night, and they sang songs of praise to God. You see, they were in prison at this time, and it says, while all the other prisoners listened to their worship, suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. This is the part I love. It says, and all at once, every prison door flung open, and the chains of all the prisoners came loose. And so I say in this place, when we sing to the name of Jesus, when we sing to who God is, man, chains are breaking off of us. That's why, that's one of the byproducts of what we get to experience when we go after God and we say, thank you, Jesus. Because we know the enemy is trying to hold us captive, and yet our chains will fall off because he's the king. And so we did a song this weekend that we introduced from Hillsong called For God So Loved, based out of John 3.16. And... Um, Man, we want to lean into that tonight, and I'm going to pray for us as we do that. So, Jesus, thank you again. Thank you for the cross. May we never forget what you did that day on Calvary. Jesus, may we never forget what you did when you rose from the dead, what you said, the statement you made for each and every one of us in this place. That you call us into your glory. You call us into your presence. There's no shame, Jesus, in you. Because you love us and accept us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hold on again. This is Reagan. <laughs> hey, some of you guys, some of you guys don't know this, but Reagan is um, our audio director here at, at Orient Campus, and he's pretty phenomenal at what he does. So. You guys don't, you don't get to see these guys all the time. Thanks, man. <laughs> all right, let's hit it. Oh uh -huh. 
know some of you in this room can't imagine what it would be like to give your son, but holy smokes.
Father God, thank you. Thank you for entering our worship, our praise of you. You're here before we got here. You'll be here when we leave. You'll go with us. It's all because of the love we just sang about. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the Father's love. And we want to live in that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tell you what, it's um, pretty nice to be in here singing tonight, isn't it? What a great, great set. Uh, I haven't experienced it on this side in a long time. I'm usually up there playing, and I tell you what, to be able to be free with your hands, not having to play anything, and just look at the words and think about what you're singing, I mean, it's just, it's a gift. It really is. So I'm up here to do three things. One, take the offering. That might be the most important thing we do tonight. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, the ushers are going to pass the pouches right now as I uh, introduce my wife who's going to come up here and speak. But uh, So the pouches are going to be passed. And if you are uh, a guest of us tonight, you're like a visitor, you don't have to feel any pressure to give. You can just let that pouch pouch go. And uh, those of you that give and many of you give online, thank you for that. It's a real blessing to us. Secondly, a couple things coming up. Uh, Friday night at our Troy campus, we have the leadership gathering at 6 o'clock. If you haven't signed up for that, sign up for it right now on the app show up. It's going to be a great night of spiritual refreshment, refueling, equipping, tooling, and moving on. And finally, guys, you listening? Man up. You heard this weekend, the date has been changed. It's a long story, trust me. But there was a snafu at the uh, uh, Spring Hill. And so it's October 5th through the 7th, which is in a couple weeks. And if you haven't signed up yet, guys, I'm telling you, it'll be a, a life-changing weekend, uh, October 5th. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the woman I've been married to for 38 years. Most of you are, you're really happy I'm not speaking tonight. The queen of visuals is speaking tonight. And um, this is a topic that is just near and dear to our heart, this whole I think of identity. And I actually, um, when the women come home from Smash every year, all I hear about is these talks that Ann gives at Smash and we never get to experience it guys, just the women. So some of the things you're going to share tonight are a little bit of what she shared at Smash, I don't know, a couple years ago. And I'm like, I want to see the dog cage. I want to see this thing in action. So get ready. Fasten your seatbelts. The one and only. Thanks, honey. My wife. <laughs> I am excited to be here tonight um, because we've had this dream for these midweeks to be a training and equipping time. I have these pet peeves. You ever have pet peeves? One of my pet peeves is that we aren't trained in how to do our most important relationships really well. One, marriage, parenting, and our walk with God. And so I bet most of you have been in some sort of training. Have you, how many of you have been in any kind of training? A sport? Honestly, all of you have to do it because school, if you're a parent, you're training all the time, so your kids. I was a gymnast, and I was a gymnast for 10 years. So man, did I train. Every single day, six days a week, I would be at the gym in the evening. And it was grueling. Every single night, we did 500 sit-ups, 500 push-ups at the end of the of practice. And so this one girl, Cindy, I shared this in Smash, she hated that part of it. She hated the training part. And so what she would do is she would just kind of flit about. And when it came time to do those 500 sit-ups and push-ups, she'd be gone. Almost every time she hated it. And so 
I always felt bad. I'm like, man, she's not doing the training because it's all about the training. Even spiritually, it's about the training. So we go to this one gymnastics meet, and it's a big meet, so there's lots of teams. And they assign the balance beam to one big room, and that's all that's in there. And this is a day when they didn't even play music. It is quiet, so quiet. And it's Cindy's turn to get up onto the beam. And if any of you have watched any kind of Olympics, gymnastics, or whatever, you know that if you're on the beam and you fall and your foot hits the ground, you're deducted points. So Cindy gets up there, man, she's nervous. And you're nervous if you haven't trained. So she does this leap, and we're all, my friends and I, our team is sitting all against the wall watching her. And as she does this leap, she starts falling. And have you ever seen this like in gymnastics? She starts doing this, and it gets bigger and bigger, and pretty soon she goes down here like this, and then she, now she's thinking, I can't touch the ground. And so she falls, but she grabs onto the beam and she's holding onto it like this. She's underneath it, holding on. I have never seen this happen, even in a practice. And so we're all over here on the side. Like we're trying not to laugh, you know? And so here she is. Now she's trying to get back on top. So she's like, she's kind of like, oh, oh. And as she does that, she lets the biggest fart you have ever heard. Like, it is so loud, you guys, and it's pure quiet. And so we're over there on the wall, like, you know how you're trying not to laugh? And we're shaking so hard. And I look over to the judges, and they're laughing just as hard. You know, poor Cindy, like, she gets off, she finishes the thing. She is so humiliated. And we're like, it's all right, everyone does that. No, they don't. <laughs> and so as I watched, the thing that was so sad to me with Cindy is she quit soon after that. And I've seen, I've walked with Jesus now. I've given my life to Jesus when I was 16 years old. And I've walked with him for over 40 years. And what I've seen is that people that don't train spiritually Sometimes they fall off, and it's hard to get back on, and they give up because they feel like a failure. They feel like it doesn't work. They feel like this isn't happening. And so I feel like in my life, especially the last 10 years, but even especially the last five, I feel like God's been taking me on this journey that I want to help train people. Some of you have heard a lot about identity. Man, we've been doing it for four years. You're like, we're going to talk on identity again. If you feel like that, then I would say this. It's your turn to train somebody else. Give it away. Take it away. Teach them. Guide them. Let's do that. And here's what Paul says. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians. And he says this to them about training. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we, we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose. Did you hear that? I run with purpose in every step. Think about that. Do you know what your purpose is? Like, do you know where you're going when you're running? I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. 
Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And I know lots of people in the ministry that have been disqualified because they haven't learned to train. It's not striving. It's training with Jesus. And when I remember reading that for the first time, even in seminary, if you look at this in one of the versions, Paul says, I buffet my body, meaning I buffet. It's a boxing term in the, in the Greek, meaning I make it black and blue so that my body doesn't control me, but I control it. And you know what I've seen? You know what the part of my body that has been the hardest to train spiritually? Right here. Do any of you do that? And I think that's been one of the hardest things for me as a follower of Christ is because I gave my life to Jesus and I knew it, I heard it, and he would say, I, you're loved, you're victorious, and I would be like, yes, yes, that's who I am, that's who I am, and then I'd fail, and I'd fall, and I would feel like I feel like it's here, and I can't get it to drop into my heart. Why? Why do we just live up here and we can't get it to resonate here in our hearts that we feel it, that we experience it, that we, we understand Jesus and we live victoriously? And we will never be totally victorious until we're with him. But I felt like I was continuing to fail. And so I brought up, of course, Dave has points. You have the most, like, let's rhyme our points. Like, is he's the master? <laughs> Cody just drops these lines. He'll be like, and then I just dropped it. I'm like, what is that? Where do, I don't even get any of that. I can't even remember what they said later, but I know it was good. <laughs> I am visual. And so if I see something, some of you are like this maybe, I remember it. And so I want you to have a picture of this, of you and creation, because this helps me to understand the battle that we're in. This is you. I'm going to call this Dave Wilson. Hottie, right there. And when God was hot, you're hot, man. Hot. <laughs> Did you want me to go on about it a little more? <laughs> so here's, here's God, here's Dave. And this is, it's so funny, I just explained this to my three-year-old granddaughter about how God created her. And when I was talking about, I was thinking about Psalm 139. We'll bring that up in a second. But here's Dave and God's God, the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are together. And this is you too. And they're like, in, in Psalm 139, it says, I knit you together. My mom used to knit. And my mom didn't just start knitting. She had something in mind. Think about your phones your cell phone. You think they just put a bunch of stuff on the table and it's like, hey, let's throw this stuff together and see what happens. That's not how a cell phone was invented. They had something in mind that they wanted it to do. And so God the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Spirit are making Dave Wilson, they're like, let's make him, let's make him with gifts of being athletic. Let's give him a, ooh, this is loud. Let's make him an athlete. Let's make him a gifted speaker, a musician. He's funny, he's smart. Let's make him so handsome, he doesn't need hair. <laughs> right? That's right, honey, that's you. And here's what it's almost like. 
The angels in heaven, after Dave Wilson has been knit together, he's still in his mother's womb. This is you. You're still in your mother's womb. I don't care how you were conceived. Here's what happens in heaven. The angels, the Father, Son, and Spirit see you, and they're like, look at this. Look at this masterpiece. And I envision the angels like, yes, yes. I said this to my three-year-old daughter. I said, Olive, they put, God made these things. He put you to be strong, but compassionate. You're funny. He gave you blue eyes and blonde hair. And later that day, I heard somebody say to her, oh, I like your blonde hair. And she goes, God put that in me. (laughs) And God put it in you. And this is you. This is me. Let's look at Psalm 139. I know you've heard it so many times, but let's look at it again. Because it says this, for you, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are what? Wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I'm awake. I am still with you. When I think of Cody and Jenna's little boy, like this is him, you guys. He's got all these gifts. He's got all these things. And it's, you're going to be like Simba's dad. Like, la-da-da-da. And that's the father with us. So what happens? Why don't we experience this? That's my question. If this is who we are, if this is who God created us to be, why don't we celebrate us the way God celebrates us? And I think what happens, and you know this, we're we're born into a broken world. We're born into chaos. We're born into evil. We're born into lies. But we're also born in a war. And there is a war over every single one of you, and his name is Satan. And what God loves and finds the dearest thing to his heart is you, and Satan, more than anything else, wants you to never live out your purpose, your destiny, your strengths, your gifts. He never wants you to live that out, and so he has a plan for you as well. And what he does is he takes us through life after we're born, and he thinks, I will cover up the glory. I will cover up the majesty, and I will do anything it takes. And I'm not saying, I'm not giving Satan credit for everything that happens, but I look at it like this. If this was me, and I think about some of the stuff that happened to me, I think about, will you bring up this first picture? I think about me when I was probably, I think I was five, five years old. That looks super innocent, doesn't it? Young, untouched, innocent. And that's the age that I thought something must be tragically wrong with me if that many people have sexually abused me. I didn't know what sexual abuse was, but there was something in me that felt so much shame that it started to cover up the majesty. 
And all of us have things that happen to us or done to us that we do. And some of them mark us. The next thing that was a big thing for me, and I've shared a lot of this stuff before, was here's another thing. That's me on the bottom right. This is 15 years old. And on that day, some of you remember this story, I overheard my friend's mom talking to my friend. And my friend said to her mom, I, this is this day when we were having our pictures taken. She said, I heard you tell Ann Barron she was cute. She's so ugly. Why would you say that? And her mom said, honey, she tries. All of a sudden, before I felt shame, now I feel ugly. Now I feel like people lie to me. If they say I'm cute, they must really say I'm ugly. And then I got a little older. And the thing that happened when I got older was I started to see some other things in me that I didn't like. In that gymnastics competition, one time I came home, this was actually, I was younger, I was 10 years old, and I came home, I was so excited because I did so well at this big, big meet. And I heard from my family who meant good, they didn't mean harm, but they were trying to motivate me and they said, if you can't come home with first, don't come home at all. Pretty soon I couldn't remember. I didn't even know Jesus at this time. All I knew was I needed to compete more. I needed to be better at everything I did and whatever happened, I could not fail. So that puts a spirit in you of competition, of feeling worthless unless you are a winner. And sometimes that can seem like a good motivation because man, that can drive you, you know? But when you live with it for a long time, it can get exhausting. And then I had given my life to Jesus, and so I thought, all of that's going to disappear. It's going to be awesome. And I found, started to find some victory. Something else happened. I met Dave Wilson, and we got married, and I thought, okay, he's going to help all of that disappear. <laughs> but then our first year of marriage, there he is, and Jesus is there too. <laughs> Do you guys remember this picture of Jesus? So, this is the year we'd been married six months. This is the apartment. Jesus was, Jesus was over the couch, and we were in full-time ministry. And that is that year that Dave Wilson said, I'd rather be dead than married to you. <laughs> now... And I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him credit. I had just a month before said marrying him was the biggest mistake of my life. So, but isn't it amazing? <laughs> it's amazing to me the people that we love the most can sometimes hurt us the most, don't they? Family, friends, children, adults, spouse. What do we do? And here's what happens, you guys. This the first picture, when no stones were in there, you know what that was? That was your original identity. That's who you were made to be. When the stones come off onto you, when the memories, the things that happen, that's false identity. And that's what the enemy loves. 
and pretty soon other things happen to you and you hear lies and you hear that you're a loser and you feel like you, you hear that you're too young and you hear you're dumb and you hear you're fat and all these things now start covering any brilliance and you don't even recognize, remember, or know who you are. And the amazing thing to me is little kids, like I'm watching Olive at three years old, she thinks she's awesome. You know, she's free, man. She's like, this is who I am, aren't I cool? And, and then what happens to us? We don't even see who we are. And instead of our friends or our husbands or our wives pulling out the greatness at the bottom, they think they're going to motivate us by saying negative things, and it doesn't help, does it? And then what we do is instead of them saying it, it's become such a habit and a lifestyle that we start saying it to ourselves. It's not you are. I am fearful. I am helpless. I am ugly. I'm addicted. I can't speak. I'm hated. I'm not good enough. And we walk around, now it's become our mantra. It's become our dialogue. It's become who we are. What happened? Cody, will you bring out the next prop? This is my son, Cody Wilson, coming out. You, have you guys experienced any of this? Do you relate to it? So here's what I feel like. I feel like, oh my gosh, the church is defeated because the enemy, instead of letting God see, oh, good job, who we are, we live in defeat. And you know what? What did Jesus say? He said, I came to set the what? Captive what? Free. He came to set the captive free. And so here we are. Born, we're all born in a broken world. We're born in sin, and we are captives, aren't we? So we are captives. All right. Only certain people could fit in this. See, you guys, you guys couldn't fit in this. Here we are before Christ. Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross. He shed his blood, and what happened? He set us free. He opens again. He opens the door, right? Here we are. It's like, and when I did this, I'm like, I am free indeed. But then, what happens? Something happens. Somebody says something. We put our. And what happens when that when that goes on? We put our heads down in shame. We put on the false things that we've always believed and we climb right back in this cage of bondage. Did any of the Bible characters live in bondage? Yes, yes, we all do. And I just feel like the reason I wanted to show you this is because I don't want us to live in here. So many of us live in here, it's a habit. It's just like who we are. And God is saying, I set you free. So get out. My blood has been shed. If you have received Jesus, you don't have to stay in there. The door is open, but we stay. I want to look at, oh, and let me read this quote too by Priscilla Shire about the battle. Because where does the enemy want us to stay? Right in there. It says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to what? Steal 
kill, and destroy. His number one goal is that you will never know Jesus as your savior. His next goal is that he will steal, kill, destroy your identity, and hopefully kill you before you can live out God's purpose and dream for your life. And Jesus said, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full, that we could have victory in him. Priscilla Shire says this in the book, Fervent, about the battle of the enemy. The battles your enemy wages against you, especially the most acute, consistent ones, possess a personality to them, an intimate knowledge of who you are and the precise pressure points where you can most easily be taken down. Triggers, I call those triggers. Isn't that a trigger? Random accident, lucky guess, I don't think so. These areas of, of greatest fear and anxiety in your life are clues to some important spiritual information. They reveal, among other things, that a personalized strategy has been insidiously put in place to destroy your vibrancy and render you defeated. It's been drawn up on the blackboard by someone who knows where you live and whom you love, knows your customary tendencies, and knows from long experience how to defeat you. The cross sets us free, and it opens the door to freedom. And I used to, I remember thinking this, I know, God, that you love me. Why can't I love myself? I know, God, that I'm a child of God, but why do I feel so alone? I know I'm victorious in Christ, but why don't I have any self-control? I know the Bible says I'm wonderfully made, then why do I feel so much shame and dissatisfied with how I look? I know, God, that you give peace, but why do I still worry so much and have fear or anxiety? I know you have forgiven me, God, but why do I still struggle so much with guilt? I think God is saying, I don't want you to struggle with anything, any of that. And the, one of the people I want to talk about tonight is Moses. I love Moses. I think he had the worst job in the world. Let's lead two million people into the desert for 40 years. That sounds terrible, and I think he was one of the greatest leaders of biblical times. Let's just talk a little bit about his story. So Moses was born in Egypt. He was born into slavery. The Jewish people were living there, and their numbers and population were growing. Egypt was the most cultured, advanced civilization in history at that point. And so as the Jewish people continued to multiply, the Pharaoh was so afraid that if the Jewish people would rebel, there would be no way that the, the Egyptians could survive the rebellion. And so he started killing off all the, all the sons. And Moses' mother saved him, and she took him, he was in, you guys have heard this story, he took him down the river, Pharaoh's daughter raised him. So for 40 years, Moses' 40 for first 40 years, he was raised as a prince in the palace of Egypt. He was amazing. And the schools then, it's pretty cool to read the history of this and even archaeology, they had some of the best universities that we can dream of. They had the Oxford and the Harvard, so he was so well-educated. He was smart, he was talented, and he was a prince. And here's Moses. What ends up happening, remember this, he kills 
an Egyptian because the Egyptian was abusing one of the Jewish people and he knew he was a Jew. So he kills the Egyptian, hides the body, and some other Jewish men saw him do the killing and they mocked him like, oh, what are you, the prince of us? Are you going to kill us too when they were fighting? Moses, because he thinks that he could be killed for killing the Egyptian, he runs into the desert. Anyone know how long he's a shepherd? 40 years. So here he was, a prince in the palace for 40 years. Now he's a shepherd in the desert for 40 years, and no one knows him. And this is when he encounters God in a burning bush. And here's what God says to Moses. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to, be, to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Three more times, God says, go, free my people. Three more times, it says the words, Moses protested. Like, that's pretty bold to protest God, right? And then it says two more times, he pleads with God. Look at this one in Exodus 4.10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get so tangled. How is he? I'm like, wait a minute. He's so smart. Isn't this the guy that was so well-educated? Look at this in Acts 7.22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Original, true identity. That's who he was. He was smart. He was talented. He was a leader. What happened? He started believing the lies. He was up here in his head. And in 40 years, he's like, I'm just a shepherd. What do I know? I feed sheep all day. And God said, that's not who you are. You are a leader among men. You are a warrior for my kingdom. You will advance my people into the promised land. And Moses keeps saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Can I just say, I have been there a million times. I was supposed to speak today. Last night, Dave's like, you ready? I'm like, no, I'm not ready. I, I can't. It's too late for me. I'm too old. And then Cody's like, mom, you ready? I'm like, no. I, I'm, at two o'clock in the morning, I almost text Cody and said, you do it. And then I was like, Dave, didn't I? I I'm like, you guys just do it. Because I'm there. I can't remember sometimes who I am. And neither could Moses. And God is so gracious. So what's he do? He goes, all right, take Aaron with you. He'll talk for you. And isn't it sweet that God lets our friends help us? I love that God does this because Moses believes his false identity because like, that's why we need each other, right? We help each other get out of the cage. If you're in the cage, here's where I was. Last night, man, I'm in the cage. And these guys are like, even Jenna texts me. They're like, what are you doing in the cage? Like, hey, guys, just leave me alone. I want to be in the cage. This is who I am. That's what we all do. And our friends, here's what they say. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Can I just tell you how amazing you are? Can I tell all of us what would it look like if we lived out our true identity? 
And we got rid of the lies. And we walked in freedom. Freedom. Our destiny. I love that. And but here's what we say. I thought, man, I was writing all the things that we say. But I've been abused. But I've been told I'm nothing. But I am worthless and ugly and good for nothing and abandoned. I've had an abortion. I've had an affair. I'm an alcoholic. I've done drugs. I've been to prison. I've been a prostitute. I have anger issues. I've been divorced. I have anxiety. I suffer with depression. I'm addicted to food. I've been beaten. I'm a cutter. I'm bulimic. I'm anorexic. I'm too old. I'm too young. I've never been to church. Dave and I spoke at this marriage conference years ago, and this early, this guy in his early 40s comes up to me, and he goes, he's desperate. He goes, can I just ask you to please pray for my wife? I'm like, absolutely, what's going on? He goes, she's anorexic, and she's not eating anymore because she wants to die. And so I went up to her, and I said, hey, I just wanted to see, and you guys, I've never seen, like, she's a skeleton. Like, a skeleton. It looks, I don't even know how she's standing. And we sit down, and I put my hand on her leg. She pushes my hand off. I said, what, what's wrong? She said, don't touch me. She's like, I'm the most disgusting thing you've ever seen. Don't touch me. I don't deserve to be touched. And I grabbed her. And I hugged her, and she's fighting me the whole time. She's like, stop it. I'm so gross. Don't touch me. I'm so unworthy. And I held on to her longer. I said, you are loved. You are beautiful. She had three kids at home that were 10 to 13, and that couldn't even keep her. Because the enemy, what's he want to do? Kill her. Destroy her. He wants to kill you, your marriage, your children, anything good. He does not want you to do it. So what do we do? We need to fight when we're in the cage. And so here's what I thought. All the times I used to get in the cage, here's one of my thoughts. I'd, I'd put on my pants and they're too tight one day. And instead of thinking, oh, my pants are too tight, here's what I would have said. You're so fat. You guys ever done that? You start this mantra in your head. You just start it going. And sometimes, you know how in Michigan when you're on a road on the highway and you can only see those two ruts for your tires and you're afraid to pass the guy because you have to get out of the ruts and you're afraid you're going to spin off the highway? Sometimes we've been in the ruts so long, we need to turn the wheel. And when we're up here and we're in the lies, here's what we need to do. We need to take our thoughts captive. And so now I want to just get into this. Here's, remember this in Romans 12, other favorite verse of mine. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's the first thing. God, here's my life. All of me, God. All of me. Here I am. And that says, this is your true and proper worship. And then it says this, what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Moses got out of the cage, and what did he do? He led his people into freedom. So for us, we need to get out of the cage. How do we do that? I put it up here. See, take your thoughts captive. 
Take your thoughts captive. You know what my thoughts were doing before this? Think about captivity. Jesus said, I set the captive free. Where is a wild animal kept? In captivity. We want to put him in captivity, right? So here are my thoughts. They were free. They're running around like the wildest animal in the jungle. Like I'm thinking bad things about Dave, about myself, about all kinds of things. And I want to take those thoughts captive. So you grab them, take them captive. The next thing you do is A, you admit, you confess your lies to God. Confess, so say it out loud. Here's, I'll tell you what happened to me not too long ago. I'm in this meeting and I'm free. I'm living in freedom. And I'm in this meeting with these amazing, powerful women. And I start to think as I'm in this meeting, wow, these women are sharp. And I was, I was celebrating that. But then I heard this, too bad you're not that sharp. And all of a sudden it was like this, you hit this temptation. You, got, you guys know what I mean? Like, oh no. And, and like, wow, they're so smart. I'm stupid. They're, they're really young and hip. I'm, I'm old. And pretty soon my head is down. I'm quiet in the meeting and I'm right here. I'm real quiet. I don't say anything. I'm driving home and I think, wait a minute. This isn't who I am anymore. What do I need to do? God, I need to take my thoughts captive. I'm letting them roam about. So I get out and I confess, God, confession isn't just God. I'm sorry. I thought that. Confession is the truth. God, here's what I was feeling. I was comparing. I don't feel like I have anything to offer. I don't feel as good. I don't feel smart. I'm fearful. I'm all of that, God. That's the truth, God. I'm not. These are lies, and I give it to you. And you know what God wants from us? He doesn't want us to be better. He wants relationship. Can I remind us that God wants relationship all day long, all the time, wherever you go, wherever you're going, wherever, just like always talking to them. And so I tell God, I confess it. God, this is what I'm feeling. And then the next thing I do is, gee, I get Jesus here now. I visualize Jesus and here's what I do. I'm wearing all these things, right? And I picture myself, Jesus, take that. Take that, I give it to you. I confess this lie, I give it to you. And then what I do is as I exchange. And when I get Jesus here now, when I do that, I inhale. I confess it and I inhale the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Remind me who I am. Can I remind you that when Jesus died on the cross, he sealed us with a promise. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit. God's spirit lives in us. We are his children, his masterpiece. <laughs> this was, how long has that been on there? Too old? Oh, and ugly. No, I'm not. <laughs> and so when I look at that, you guys, you are your, his masterpiece. The E is you exchange your false identity for God's true identity because that's who you are. Jesus flung open the door and he's saying, get out, people. Get out. Live for who you are. Live for what I've put in you. Use your gifts. Use your strengths. And let's pull out. Instead of putting the rocks on each other, let's pull out each other's greatness. I love our home because I feel like these guys have been doing that to me. Jen is so nice. 
She calls me, he's like, you're so great. I'm like, no, I, that's what I think. No, I don't. But I won't say it because I'm taking my thoughts captive. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's habit. And somebody says, you look so pretty. No, I don't. No, don't say that. Thank you. Thank you. And start asking God, God, who am I? Set me free. The next time you're ready to get in the cage, tell somebody else. And you know what? This could just be verbiage now. I'm in the cage. Everybody will know what you're talking about, right? Oh, I know. I'm in there too. But then you need somebody else to get you, to pull you out. Let's not live in bondage anymore. Let's live in freedom and true identity, not false identity. Cody's going to talk more about this on Sunday at the 1045 service. He'll probably go into it even deeper. This is a bigger flyby. It's a workshop. That's right. That's good. And so let me do this. I want to take us into some listening prayer. And what I want us to do, I'm going to take it, I'm visual, so I'm going to take you on a visual journey. And I want you just to go with me where I lead you in this prayer journey. And um, I'm going to pray for us. Father, um, right now we come before you, your children, your sons and your daughters. And Father, we thank you that you are king that you are God, that no one compares to you. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You're the creator. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and shed his blood over us so that we could be free. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that has sealed us and redeemed us, Lord. You've redeemed us. And so, Father, we come to you and we ask you to speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we push out and we rebuke any voices, any old lies, any old thing. In Jesus' name, we cast that out and we ask now for only your voice, God, in this room. And so I want you just to close your eyes, you guys. I want you to go to one of your favorite places. I want you to see yourself sitting in a chair. Maybe it's a golf course, an ocean. Maybe it's a field. Maybe it's your house. I want you to picture yourself there. Outside. Let's do that. Sun is out. Temperature's perfect. It just feels good. Take a deep breath. You see a man walking towards you. And you realize it's Jesus. What's that feel like to know that it's Jesus? He walks closer and closer with this big smile on his face. And you stand up. What's that feel like? What do you feel when you're in front of him? What's he do as he sees you? As you stand before him, I want you to take the lies that you've believed. Maybe they're sticker notes on you. I don't know what they are. But I want you to take the lies off of yourself and I want you to hand them to him. What do the lies look like as you're handing them to him? I want you to look down at yourself. Are there any more lies that you've been carrying? 
that you want to give to him? What's he feel? What's he feeling? How can you look at it as you look at him? What do you think he's feeling as you hand them over to you, him? And what's he do with them? Hmm. How's that feel to not carry those things? And now he wants to make an exchange. And he puts his hands on your shoulders. And you hear this. You hear something from him. What's he call you? Or what do you feel like he wants to say? Who are you? If you don't hear a word, maybe you see a character from a movie or a book or a song. Who are you? And then he hugs you close and he whispers in your ear one last thing, what's he want you to know? And I want you to ask him one more thing. Jesus, why did you call me that name? Or why did that picture come into my head? And if you didn't hear or see anything, then just tell him, please show me soon. Jesus, thank you that we are called your sons and daughters. Thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that we are your ambassadors. Thank you that we are righteous in your eyes. Thank you that you have freed us from all sin and bondage and death. And we in turn can free others and take all that you've gifted us in to the world. Help us to be a light to this community. Help us to be a light to this state, to this country, to this world, God. May we shine so bright. May you start a revival here, God, a revival that will spread throughout all generations and that people will call on your name because you are the king and it will start here with us being free. May it begin, God, and may you have your way and may you be glorified in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.
something um and maybe it's for someone in this room um how about that message that was awesome huh but uh yeah there 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 are two things actually one i might be for someone in the room the the first one was i think sometimes it's like we're like well they actually both go together i think there's the place of the cage and there's like man we want to get out but i think a lot of times we stay in because when you're in the cage no one can get to you and hurt you. And, and what I thought was when my, my mom shared, she said, some of you have been hurt by family or friends or the people closest to you. What can start to happen in those moments is you say, I'm never going to let anyone close to me again. 
because I'm not going to allow anyone to hurt me the way that they did. And so we go in the cage because it actually keeps from anyone ever getting close to us again. And when she said that, I just felt like maybe there's some people in this room, it's kind of like the ice castle, like no one's going to get to me and I'm keeping everyone out, but at the same time, you're completely blocking your life from ever having fulfilling relationships again. And so I felt for, like for some people in the room when she was saying that to you, I, I actually feel like the Lord's inviting you into letting people into your life again. And I think that starts with a place of forgiveness and allowing the right people in. But I think for some of you, like, it's time to let go of maybe a vow that you made that, like, I'm never going to let anyone get close to me. I'm never going to let anyone hurt me again. And I would just encourage you. I feel like the Lord wants you to know tonight that, like, there's people he's going to surround you with that will actually protect you and love you and speak life to you. And so I just wanted to encourage if that was anyone in the room. Um, actually, we're going to get a little bit more bolder. If... This, this might be weird for you. If, if that's you, um, would you actually be so bold? I know this is like kind of crazy, but if, if you would just raise your hand, if that's you. Yeah, I see a few of you. Um, and if you're, if you're around them, um, if it's okay with them, uh, would you just extend your hand towards them? And if that's you, if you put your hand up, I, I'd ask you maybe under your breath just to re repeat this after me. Just say this, Lord Jesus... I want the life you have for me. I give you permission to tear down any wall that I've put up to keep people out in Jesus' name. And I give you permission to fill me with your love because I also want to trust you again. And so, Jesus, I just pray for each and every person right now, Father God, that you would absolutely break right now in the name of Jesus any walls that have been up, anything that's, that's been set up to, to protect them, God. And we release the truth, God, that you are the protector, that you are the healer, that you are perfect, that you are Yahweh. And we release your spirit over them, that you'd fill them with joy, God, and you'd fill them with love, Jesus that you would shatter any doubt and any fear in Jesus' mighty name and you would release them into the future and into the calling and into the destiny that you have to them, for them, Jesus. And we just, we just say that, amen, amen. Thanks for raising your hand. That's really cool. So yeah, I, uh, did, did you want to say anything? Hey, this is you, so you hold on to this right now. That's what you look like. You... What? I tried to. <laughs> you didn't want to give me the mic, did you? We're not going to keep you long. I just want to say one thing that I felt God was reminding me of as Ann spoke. Um, I thought this, you know, when one person gets out of the cage, and by the way, if I got anything from Ann tonight, it was like, no more cage, no more cage, no more cage, no more cage. Seriously, repeat that to yourself as you walk through tomorrow because the lies are going to come back. You know this. They're going to come back. This lasts for a moment, but this wasn't one training night. This was the beginning of many in your life. No more cage. But I thought it's, it's amazing. When one person gets free out of the cage, it changes a legacy. When a church, when a community of people understand their identity and get out of the cage together, an army, it changes the world. And here's what hit me. It's the last thing we'll do, and you can walk out. And if you want to come up and pray with somebody, our prayer team would love to pray with you. But here's what hit me. One of the lies I think some of us have believed as a church is that the best days of Kensington were in the past. I've heard it. 
And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's, I think that's a lie from the pit of hell. The best days of Kensington and of Kensington Orion are today and tomorrow. I'm telling you, God is doing something fresh right here in our midst. I can sense it. I can feel it. It's like 1990 all over again in my mind. It's like God is doing something new and alive, and it's so fun to be a part of it. It really is. And that doesn't happen with one person. That happens with an army of people, a community of people saying, I am living out my identity, and we're changing the world. You're not really going to come up here and try and talk right now. <laughs> what are you doing? This is like, they're out there like, is the service ever going to end? Good. What you said was so good. Okay, the last thing I was going to say is if you heard something from God, an identity, a picture, a movie, whatever, share it with somebody. Yeah. With the next day or two, share it with somebody. And they, and, and they won't say, that's dumb. Say, wow. You know, and if God gives you something for them too, if you didn't hear something, Remember Dave two weeks ago said, how does God speak through the pews? People, experiences, events, the word of God and the spirit of God. So maybe you have a word for somebody like, this is what I see in you. This is great. And we'll see you Sunday. I was in the Dominican Republic Sunday morning in a church where they're speaking Spanish and singing Spanish songs. And I couldn't understand a word. And God spoke to me a message for you this Sunday. Don't miss it. It's for you this Sunday. See ya.